This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. As adults, we have a tendency to equate risk with danger, but risk is not a bad word. Healthy risk should be our ally. It helps us raise our kids and lets them develop into competent, confident people. We long to shield our children from mishaps in life. We're not in the mood for another spill, mess, or tear-filled scene that could result from kids making mistakes or assessing risks on their own. But kids need this constant series of risks to develop judgment skills and confidence. If safety is always first, children can become afraid to try new things. Fear can stop children from trying, but often it's our fears that stop them. Overprotection can be more harmful than safety in some cases. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking about risk and about the importance of welcoming risk. The first step towards welcoming risk is acknowledging that we simply can't eliminate it. And we also need to stop chasing the illusion of total safety. It just doesn't exist. Being alive means that there's a chance that we will meet pain somewhere, sometime, no matter how careful we are. Now, again, we can't eliminate risk, but at the same time, we can't allow ourselves to be paralyzed by it either. We'll start our conversation about risk and responsible ways to encourage it in your home when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this. From the MrDad.com radio network. Hey, is that a faucet running? Nope, that's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. It is? Yeah, forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. The water comes straight from the forest to us. In fact... What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. How do trees clean the air? They soak up the dirty air on their leaves, branches, and trunks, which means clean air for us. Hmm, cool. I didn't know that. Yep, but the forest does more than give us clean air and water. It gives us shade for hot days, birds to listen to, and trees to climb. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't know how cool the forest could be. Hey, let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Heather Shoemaker, who's the author of It's Okay to Go Up the Slide, Renegade Rules for Raising Confident and Creative Kids. Heather, thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Let's talk about what you mean by risk and healthy risk and responsible risk and, and all that. Yes. Well, one, you know, one of my uh, mottos is safety second, which is mostly um, just to get us to start rethinking um, when we always put safety first and, and really what else is important for kids. Because there's, um, I think when we think about risk, we immediately equate it with danger as, as adults. But really, risk is, is not necessarily danger. It's judging danger and taking appropriate risks. And those kinds of healthy risks can be physical, like a child um, running too fast, um, or what we think is too fast. Or they can be social and emotional risks, like um, 
asking someone to play when they might say no or feeling sad over something. So the kind of risks that we need to think about, they're not all um, physical risks. Now, there's something that you talk about in the book, and you talk about a lot of things, but about uh, there's a, even a chapter that's, that's called uh, It's Okay to Not Kiss Grandma. And how, how is that kind of thing, not doing something, a risk? You know, the, the poor grandmothers of the world say, oh, you know, I just want to enfold this child in my arms. Um, it's a risk on many levels, including for the adults, because the adults, when there's greetings going on, you know, say hello to so-and-so or give grandma a kiss, there's a lot of social pressure at that moment on the adults. Did I raise my child right? Is he polite enough? Is she going to do the right thing? Do I, am I going to impress my parents or my other friends or so on? So there's a lot of pressure from the parent in taking a risk to allow the child to developmentally do what she needs to do at that moment. Um, and there's risk for the child in, in um, sort of standing up for her own body or his own body at a time when there's a lot of pressure to just do what everybody wants. Um, I think... Uh, this chapter is, is tie, it, it straddles two topics, and they're both important. One is about manners and social expectations and social graces and how we teach those and how we can teach them respectfully. And the other is about um, sort of basic safety and that the child, if, even if they're not in the mood at that moment or they don't like the way something feels, um, they can say, I don't want you to touch me like that. I don't want those kisses because really that gets into the next chapter about um, um, body safety and, and strangers. Yeah, well, let me get back to that in just a second, because I want to go back to something that was uh, really interesting and, and disturbing and sad at the same time. You talked about a report that was in the journal Pediatrics that found that kids are primarily sedentary at preschool and child care settings. They're just sitting there, and the main barrier you're saying is the uh, fear of somebody getting hurt. Ah, yes, getting back to safety safety first. It, there is um, adults when kids are in our care, and that's talking about you know parents or other caregivers at preschools and daycares, we sometimes just are so fixated on, on that safety that we, we limit the kind of play that kids need to do, even very normal play like um, being outside, um, picking up a stick, you know, very, very basic play. Um, we do need to help kids, um, you know, not hurt each other or hurt themselves. But, for example, with stick play, we can do things instead of saying, you know, no picking things off the ground. That's a rule in a lot of places. Uh, we could just say, um, if you want to play with that stick, you need to move over here so you're not close to other bodies if the child's swinging it around too wildly. But, unfortunately, a lot of, um, a lot of sedentary, I mean, not completely sitting still, but um, it is a disturbing report. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, I mean, you hear so much about in, in the schools are canceling recesses, and, and in some places they're hiring consultants to teach the kids how to play. It's it just, there's something off about that whole thing. And I'm not, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of joke about this that, you know, bruises and bumps and perhaps even some some small broken bones build character in a way. Yeah. Uh, I don't want kids to be out there breaking their bones, but the, you know, the point is that they, they do need to be able to fail a little bit. Right. And I think, I think you, you put your finger on it there. I have a, a little section that just lays out, okay, what's really at, at risk here? What, what are the possible consequences? And for the kid, it's mostly a few bumps, bruises, and skinned knees, maybe tears. Maybe it's um, a feeling, a temporarily uh, scared or sad feeling. That's mostly what the child is risking. 
Um, and for the adult, they're also risking things like feeling guilty or feeling anxious or spending some time dealing with uh, feelings or, ba- or messes or Band-Aids, but also kind of getting the, the feeling of they can be independent and maybe I'm not as needed as I think I am, and that can be hard for adults. A lot of books and a lot of authors that we talk with and experts we talk with talk about the importance of modeling and setting a good example for your kids and doing the right thing and all that. And and you mentioned something I think was really thought-provoking, which is to model mistakes, to model failure in a way. Ah, yes. Um, Yeah, in fact, (laughs) this modeling mistakes chapter was actually in my first book, It's Okay Not to Share, and then I made a mistake and when they said the book was too big and no one would ever buy it, we cut that chapter, and I regretted it ever since. Um, so I feel like this finally found its place in the world. Um, this modeling mistakes chapter, so many children are um, sort of shame-averse and um, mistake-averse, and yet in order to live and grow and thrive, we have to constantly do things that might cause us to make mistakes. And... I think especially hard for a child, maybe an only child or an oldest child, who's always comparing themselves to the adults around them who seem to be able to do everything perfectly. You know, adults can just tie a shoe and pour the milk, no problem. And the kids are always fumbling and stumbling, and if they're quite mistake-averse, it can be, it seems as if adults never make mistakes, and they feel very lonely and bad and feel like they shouldn't try as much. So... When we goof up, it's okay to announce that, oops, I just spilled my coffee. Now I have to get a sponge. And just not just model the mistake. I think modeling how we recover from a mistake. Absolutely, yeah. Now talk a little bit about the role of technology. I think that's something besides physical safety that parents are probably worried about, perhaps even more than physical safety because there's so many horrible things that can happen because of online interactions. I guess that ultimately comes down to physical safety, but there, some people look at them as being completely separate. But talk about technology and responsible risk in that area. Yes. Well, you know, technology, I, I have two chapters on it, and one is focused solely on the adults because I think when we get nervous about technology, we often focus on the kids first and what's wrong with that situation, but we need to take a close look at ourselves first. Um, adults are sometimes forgetting that they're modeling technology use. It's, it's brand-new territory for us, and so we don't quite know what relationship to have with it ourselves. I think some folks our age are kind of like kids in a candy shop just eating technology whenever they feel like it. It's kind of like serving chocolate cake for dinner for our kids. That Well, we model, te- we model nutrition. You know, We show them that we eat vegetables and we actually do it. We need to be a little more conscious of our technology use so the kids pick up some basics that I think lead to the safety you were talking about. Um, the uh, one basic etiquette rule that we need to model um, and help kids learn is the person in front of you is the most important. So think about maybe school pickup time where there's a car line or however the school pickup happens. So many parents have the phone glued to their ears at that moment. Now, that's a moment that we need to model respectful relationships. And I think if you have those strong relationships throughout the day, that um, the technology gets put in its place and you can have good conversations about how to cope with it. And is that something that you think is, is possible? I mean, I'm saying that sort of a flip <laughs> way. I mean, it, it's, I mean it, it's so ingrained in culture these days that everybody walks around with their head attached to some electronic device. It's just... 
you know, how, how do you get people's attention? Yes. Well, I, I think that, you know, this is not the first time that a major um, revolution of technology has happened. Let's say when the automobile was invented, um, people freaked out a bit, and then they had to figure out a new way of living with cars. Even if a family didn't have a car themselves, they still had to learn how to cross a busy street. So we've learned, um, you know, we've got sidewalks, we've got um, kids learning to drive at a certain age, we've got whole rites of passage associated with cars. And so we've, we've figured out how to cope with them and integrate them into our lives. I think the same thing needs to happen a bit more with technology. It's here, but we're not quite sure what parameters and, and what etiquette to, to use around it. Talking with Heather Shoemaker, who's the author of It's Okay to Go Up the Slide, Renegade Rules for Raising Confident and Creative Kids. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking to Heather about some more of those renegade rules. I'm Armin Brant, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. The challenger wears white trunks with a blue stripe, and the champ is wearing, uh, looks like an examination gown from the doctor's office. And from the back, we can... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the crazy getup? I've got to take care of my family. Yeah, so? Well, when you love your family, you got to go in and get those important medical screenings. A lot of potentially deadly diseases can be treated if you catch them in time. So you wear the examination gown because... Because I'm a real man. Real men take care of their families and get those tests. Real men wear gowns. Okay, champ. Good luck. Here we go. <laughs> the champ's not wasting any time. <laughs> oh. It's over. This fight is over. Champ, you barely broke a sweat. Any words for your fans out there? Remember, go to ahrq.gov for a list of the tests they need to get and when to get them. What was that web address again? ahrq.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to ahrq.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. It kind of freaks me out that some people actually go through their trash to pull out recyclables. That's not for me. Maria Inez Phillips talks about not recycling. I've got too many newspapers and magazines and catalogs in there with plastic containers and bottles and cans. In your recycling bin? No, in my trash. Your trash can is full of recyclables? No, it's full of trash. You say trash, Maria. I say rubbish. Whatever it is, I'm not going through it. I don't even know what they do with recyclables. They make more of the things you use, Maria. More newspapers, more bottles and cans. Out of a bunch of trash? I just don't get it. Some things are very obvious, Maria. Recycling creates jobs and protects the environment. Is that important to you? It is, which is why I put my trash where it belongs. Learn the difference between trash and recycling and more on our website, yougottobekidding.org. I put out way too much trash to think about recycling. See why recycling is not rubbish. Visit yougottobekidding.org today. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brought. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Heather Shoemaker, who's the author of It's Okay to Go Up the Slide, Renegade Rules for Raising Confident and Creative Kids. You know, just before the break, we were talking about uh, driving and cell phones, and I just happened to come across a statistic that fits in here, uh, which I, I thought was just shocking, that the uh, over the past few years, the number of pedestrians that are hit by cars are going up. And part of that is distracted drivers, but part of it is also the people that we walk by and almost smack into on the sidewalk. Yeah, the, distracted the, pedestrians. Distract, exactly. I mean, those, those are the... Every time I see somebody like that, I just want to slap them uh, or at least scream, hey, get out of the way. 
uh, I mean, there, it's it's happening, and uh, yeah, modeling modeling not to do that is, is and a young good thing. children, you know, sibling rivalry has always always been there to some extent, but kids are now um, not so jealous of their siblings; they're jealous of their parents' phone, and toddlers are you know there's stories of them thro- um, throwing it in the trash can or flushing it down the toilet. They want that rival to go away. Talk about homework and how that fits into your recipe for reducing or in reducing some kind of risk and increasing other ones? Yeah, well, I think um, the homework one is mostly about reducing stress and finding time for and value, valuing um, other types of play and development. Um, so I have a chapter called um, Ban Elementary Homework, and I think the important part here is to focus on the age group that we're talking about. Um, there's been research that shows that the academic benefits of homework which is the whole reason why we ask kids to do it in the first place, are highly age-dependent, uh, much more age-dependent than we ever thought. So high school, there is an academic benefit. Middle school, not much. But at the elementary level, they found that there's no correlation between the time spent on homework and academic achievement. And this is looking not just one study, but a, a whole kind of meta-analysis over 180 peer-reviewed research studies of finding no correlation um, with the kids doing homework and academic achievement in school. Now, this matches up to what we know about child development, that there's so much more than just that academic cognitive side. Kids need to be um, doing big body play. They need to have physical movement. They need to work on their social Mm -hmm. skills and just what we call old-fashioned play or downtime or just being with family, that emotional nurturing. That's all hugely important. And instead, what we're seeing is homework coming at younger and younger ages. Um, it's certainly common in kindergarten now and even um, quite common in preschool and with the belief that it's good for the kids. But what really the kids need more is a break from being told what to do so that they can spend their valuable time on other activities that they don't get to do during the school day. Now, another homework-related thing you talk about is signing papers. And I have done that a number of times. I mean, probably constantly. You know, the kids come home with something, some sort of a test or some other kind of document, and we have to sign it. Yeah. Yeah, I have a chapter called um, Don't Sign Here. It it seems to be a burgeoning uh, lately. You know, in the the old days, there were two things parents signed, um, field trip permission slips and report cards. But now there can be this deluge, you know, music practice sheets, spelling lists, reading logs, um, computer, online assignments, all sorts of things. And if you have more than one child, that's multiple signatures and initials a day. But I think we need to get back to why is this even um, happening? And it's, it, I think it, it undermines that trust relationship, um, the trust that the child will do it if they said they do it, and the trust that they even care about their learning. But it has to sort of be marked off that, yes, you've done this, um, there are other ways that we can support that learning and trust that the child's learning. But really, what what's so bad about a signature? I mean, you're just signing something. You're not telling you know, the kids that they don't have to do the work. So, so one thing about the signature part is that, you know, um, homework besides academic benefit is supposed to teach kids responsibility. And one thing I think requiring the signature does is undermine that responsibility side. When a child is old enough to get homework, which in my view is middle school because that's when it has academic benefit to a slight degree, 
then the child should be the one responsible for remembering and doing it, and you shouldn't have a third party signing off that they did it. That, that undermines the whole point of the responsibility of it and, and that the uh, assignments are 100% the child's responsibility then. Um, you know, if a teacher is demanding a signature, um, it's fine to talk to them about it. There's been families, um, our family has spoken up and not had to sign. Other families that have spoken up unquestioned the practice have sometimes got the whole class removed from being able, from having to do the signature. So sometimes one voice can raise an issue that teacher never even thought yeah. um, might be a problem. You know, you talk about something, it's actually rule number 14, don't banish ogres from books. And I just love that chapter because <laughs> I've always always maintained, <clears throat> you know, that, that scary stuff in books is not a bad thing. And if you think about things like Where the Wild Things Are and pretty much everything by Roald Dahl, there's lots of scary stuff going on in there. But it's teaching kids in a way that they can deal with a scary thing and they can come out of it okay. And and that's such an important lesson is that you can't shield our kids from everything and even stories. I mean, people want to stop reading stories because they want to have everything be fluffy bunnies and unicorns. Exactly, fluffy bunnies and unicorns. Um, I think that, uh, it, yeah, and it's not just the scary ones but also the sad stories. I just heard this week from a, a parent in New York City who said that her friends aren't even reading Charlotte's Web anymore because the spider dies, or they're changing the ending so Charlotte doesn't die to protect their kids. This is what I'm talking about, this degree of, of shielding of, of healthy risk. It's a healthy risk to hear a ha- sad story. But what you mentioned, that where the wild things are and things like that, Roald Dahl books, um, these stories have a lot of difficult kind of ugly elements in them, but they're books. And the child can cope with it at a book level. What we seem to be doing is um, sanitizing the books and yet exposing kids visually, whether it's movies or video games or that sort of thing, to almost anything. So when, when actually it should be the opposite, because when a child hears a story or a, a, a book's read to them or they read it themselves, they will take the level of scariness or sadness that they can cope with. They will imagine what they can handle. But when the visual image is presented to them, they don't have that choice, and it's often too much and too stimulating. You know, another thing we try to shield our kids from is the news, just turning on the TV, or hopefully not not the TV, but they're going to pick things up, just conversations that they overhear. Exactly. Yeah, um, news disasters are hard to know uh, what to do when you have young kids in the house. Um I was reading just this week um, about how to how to deal with the political news and, and uh, the presidential elections and how to explain all that to your kids. So whatever's in the news, is a disaster or not, kids pick up a lot more than we think they do. Maybe we're trying to shield them from adult concerns, but they do pick it up. And a lot of times, even very young kids, preschool age and, and older, can um, get a lot of misinformation and, and come up with some unfounded fears. Maybe they caused an earthquake or whatever it might be. So it's good to check in with them um, and talk about things. Find out, ask a few questions, find out the level of their knowledge or their misinformation, and then um, answer questions honestly, because if a child's old enough to ask, she's old enough to get an honest answer. Right. Well, of course, there's images, though, that you were going to want to keep the kids from. I mean, certain kinds of war images and things like that, especially for younger kids, right? I mean, that's you're not going to yeah. just go whole hog and, and open it all up. Right. And I think um, 
visual images, let's say the TV news, you never know what's going to pop up next, but also it's often repeated. You know, so the, they'll show the scene and then they'll show the scene again. And at least younger children, they, they might think that the disaster is happening again and again and again. They don't understand it's a replay. So that can be worrisome also. So if you had to sum it all up in a couple of sentences besides the, the wonderful the sentence that it's okay to go up the slide, what would you tell parents as far as how to reevaluate the way that they're doing things and allow a certain amount of responsible risk? Yeah. Well, I think, I think at some level we feel in our gut that things aren't quite right. So if something's bothering you, it's time to make a change whether that's that your child has gym class instead of recess or that these battles over homework at the kitchen table just aren't right. Um, because just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean it's right for you or your child and doesn't mean it's right for child development. Heather Shoemaker is the author of It's Okay to Go Up the Slide, Renegade Rules for Raising Confident and Creative Kids. Heather, you've got a website? Yes, it's heatherschoemaker.com. Which is S H U. M-A-K-E-R. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Good to be here. Dear Mom and Dad, one thing I've learned in the Army is that when you're lucky enough to get a little time off, you should put it to good use. So I'm taking a moment to write and tell you that I'm fine and doing well. We have good days and bad days over here. We try to remember the good ones and get through the bad ones as best we can. Mostly we have each other, and that's what keeps us going. That and the pride of our commitment to getting the job done whatever it takes. I miss you all very much and can't wait to get back to life as usual. Please tell everybody hello for me that I'll be home soon. And mom, since you asked, if anyone wants to help, just tell them to contact the USO. You can't believe how much they do for us. With love, your son Michael. The USO depends on the generosity of the American people, people just like you. To find out how you can help, Visit us at USO.org. The USO, until everyone comes home. Hey there, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. Let's jump right into today's Ask Mr. Dad column. Dear Mr. Dad, my wife and I have a two-week-old baby, and I've noticed that many new parents seem to spend a lot of time talking to their babies. That looks and sounds kind of cute, but I honestly don't see the point since the kids can't understand a word of what people are saying. On the few times I do talk to the baby, he ignores me anyway. How important is it to talk to the baby? And if it is important, what should I talk about? Those are fantastic questions, and I get your frustration. But even though your baby seems to be ignoring you, he's actually not, and isn't capable of engaging in witty conversation, speaking to him is incredibly important. During your baby's first three years, his brain is growing at an incredible clip, and the kind of stimulation he gets now is going to have a huge influence on how successful he is later in life. One of the best and the easiest ways to stimulate his brain development is to talk to him. Researchers Todd Risley and Betsy Hart found a direct correlation between the number of words a child hears before the age of three and his IQ at the age of three. Kids with the most talkative parents also do better on tests of reading readiness. As you can imagine, the larger a child's vocabulary, the easier it will be to get him to read later on. And the more you talk to and read to your baby now, the larger his vocabulary will be. Since you have a boy, this is especially important. Parents, in particular mothers, tend to talk more to girls than to boys. All that extra conversation may explain why girls generally do better in school. 
Right now, what you talk about isn't as important as how you talk. Here are a few steps to get you started. Expand and encourage. If your baby says, Baba, take that as a conversation starter and respond with a full sentence. Something like, do you want your bottle? Or, yes, that's a sheep, depending on what you think Baba means. By responding this way, you're showing your baby that you're interested in what he has to say, and you're encouraging him to say even more. Identify. Ask things like, where's your tummy? If he points to it or pats it, praise him and ask another question. If he doesn't answer, point it out for him. Here's your tummy. And ask another one. Explain everything. If you're feeding him, talk about the food, the color, the taste, how messy his face is. If you're outside, talk about the traffic, the weather, the trees, construction sites, and everything and anything you come in contact with during the day. They're all familiar to you, but to your baby, it's all brand new. Keep no and don't to a minimum. It's incredibly hard, but try anyway. First of all, those two words are very broad. If you say no or don't to your baby, he may not understand exactly what you want him to do or don't want him to do. All he really knows is that you're not happy. And too many no's and don'ts will discourage creativity and exploration. Instead, give him some details. Knives are sharp and they aren't for babies. Or it's not safe to try to put mommy's hairpins in the electrical outlets. Of course, all of your outlets are safely covered, right? But you know what I mean. Read. Make stories and books part of your baby's daily routine. We'll talk a lot more about that in future segments. We'll be back next week with another Ask Mr. Dad segment or a Parents at Play segment. Until then, I'm Armin Broad. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.